we are finishing uh, Genesis chapter 3, and this message is called After the Fall. And in doing this, I was looking for some background image, you know, for the, for the PowerPoint and uh, picture that I had seen before that I was going to use uh, was this painting by Thomas Cole. It's called The Expulsion from the Garden of Eden. Eden. Of course, he was not actually there when this happened, uh, and there's a lot of imagination, but I went from just having this as something that was in the background to just kind of being drawn into uh, this painting. And if you see here, uh, if, if they're being expelled from the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are, are very small there on the path being uh, kicked out of this. But I realized if you look at this painting, there's really two halves to this painting. And you could basically draw a line down the middle and on one side, you see the Garden of Eden, and you see, you see creation. The original good world that God made, and he, he made it, he designed it, he declared this to be not just good, but very good. But then you see that there's another side to this, the, the fall. And that is where Adam and Eve are at this point, that they have sinned against God. They have uh, eaten of the, the one tree that God told them, don't eat of this tree. You have all these different trees. You have all of these different options that you can eat from freely, just not this one. And that's the one that they're tempted and they decide to uh, just purposely rebel against God and eat of this one tree. And when that happened, uh, everything changed in the world. Uh, we saw last week, we've seen already from uh, the book of Genesis, the, the curses that were introduced into this world. That we live in a world that was created good by God, but is now cursed. And just these, uh, just thousands of ramifications that have just flooded and spilled across uh, this world. So that it's, it's not just something that affects us, but even creation groans at this point. But Adam and Eve now, they're, they're expelled. And now this is where we find ourselves as well. We think about the big storyline of Scripture. Uh, we've said this, and I hope you start to memorize this, creation, fall, redemption, and then consummation. And so there's uh, Act 1 is the creation, and it lasts a little bit over two chapters in Scripture where things are good. And now we find ourselves on the other side of this. And so as we look at this passage, uh, we're going we're gonna to look at what it says here. We're going to be also... Uh, thinking about other things as Scripture helps us understand more of what is going on. But what does it mean for us to be on this side of the fall? That we are no longer in this perfect, ideal world that God has created, but we live after the fall. So let's read together Genesis uh, chapter 3, and we're going to start with um, verse 22. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man. And at the, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword they turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So let's first think about what this passage that we just read has to say to us. And notice at the beginning it says, The Lord God said, and this again is after 
giving uh, specific curses to the, the serpent, uh, who uh, Satan was behind the serpent, and to Eve, and then to Adam. But notice he says, behold, the man has become like one of us. And we notice that word us that is there. Who is the us that he is talking about? I mean, there are animals, okay, there are the angels, but I think this is one of these other things that as we look back on this with everything we know also from the rest of the Bible, that we see there's the hint of the Trinity here. There's one God, there's only one God, but exists, who exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so uh, the Lord doesn't just say he has become like me, he has become like one of us, uh, one of the... Uh, uh, members of the Trinity, but not in the way that he ought to. It says, knowing good and evil. God knows good and evil in a sense. He knows them from his omniscience. Uh, he knows everything. But now Adam and Eve knew uh, not just good, but they also knew evil experientially because they had committed evil. They had uh, chosen to rebel against God. And now they were going to know evil in another experiential way too because they were going to live in this world that was now cursed by evil, that was fallen, that was broken uh, because of their rebellion against God. That Adam's one trespass uh, just brought all these ramifications into the world. And so God knew that it was neither just nor right at this point to let them live forever in this world and like this. That the condemnation needed to be death. And he had promised him this. He had warned Adam of this, that the day you eat of this tree, you're going to die. And so this is the, the righteous judgment, that there would be death that would come from this. Scripture tells us the wages of sin is death. But I think it's also true that God knew that it just wouldn't be good for Adam to continue to live in the world like this, in this condition uh, forever and ever. So he is expelled from the garden. We see that he is driven out. And then it talks about a cherubim uh, that is and a flaming sword that we're going to guard the entrance to, uh, to Eden. A cherubim is a, is a type of angelic being. And so there are human beings, okay, but they're also this a separate race. Angels are not uh, departed human beings, okay? Sometimes people think that, oh, you know, somebody dies, oh, there's another angel in heaven. That's not how it works. The angels are created differently, okay? So this cherubim, this angel, is not somebody that has died. Nobody has actually uh, physically died yet. Adam and Eve are the only two people. But this cherubim is this mighty, um, you know, angel. They're, angels are not these floaty little, you know, cupid babies. Uh, this would be a powerful, you know, just majestic being. And I don't know if he had the sword. The sword was floating around. This is, uh, you have to use your imagination. We don't know exactly what it looked like. Uh, but they were not to go back into the garden. And so they were cut off at this point from the tree of life. And this means that they were cut off from, from God's life, from God as the, the source of life. And so even though we know from Scripture that Adam and Eve were created originally, that they would not have died if they had not sinned. But now because of sin, death is introduced from the world. And they're cut off from God, they're cut off from him as the source of life and from the tree of life. You wonder sometimes what happened to uh, the Garden of Eden? How long did it stay around? I think at the very least, uh, it was destroyed in, in Noah's flood, if not before then. Um, 
Scripture doesn't really tell us what exactly happened or how long it it's, was still there. Uh, but I, I, I would think you're probably, you know, uh, going to waste your time if you're, you're trying to look for it. I don't think Indiana Jones is going to find it either. Uh, it was there, but now it's, it's not. So I want to, looking through this passage, I want to also think about uh, other things that Scripture has to say about this. They are kind of fleshing this out. And so one of the main points for this sermon, as we talk about what is life after the fall, is that after the fall, now every human being, every human is subject to death. And what does this mean? God had warned about this back in Genesis 2, 17. Remember he said, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, Adam and Eve, they're being kicked out. They didn't just drop dead right then and there. In fact, we see they go on to live actually for actually hundreds of years. Uh, the early humans, according to Genesis, have very long lives. So we think, well, that's not exactly dying in that very day. But we need to realize that in two very real senses, they did. There was physical death uh, that began at that point in time. So physical death, uh, when we think of what is the death that came to them, uh, physical death, and for Adam and Eve, this would be eventual separation of body and soul. So now things change, I think, even in their physiological makeup, their, uh, their, their being. So they would, they would age. There would be uh, parts that would uh, wear out. There would be the normal wear and tear that you and I are all experiencing. Or if you're young, one day you will. Uh, some of us know it all too well. Uh, I look back and I see I'm, uh, I, I don't, I'm not the same person I was exactly when I started here about nine years ago. Uh, things are taking its effect, and that's just how it is. You know, we are mortal now. And so we have a uh, physical part of our body, and we have an immaterial part. And uh, right now those you know, are together, but eventually, you know, those, it, it's kind of being loosened. You know, and uh, things are happening to us. And eventually, whether it uh, happens when we're young or it happens when we're relatively old, we're going to die. And there's a sense, sometimes we talk about somebody living to a ripe old age or other people that die young. We all die young. If you live to be 120, scripturally, you're still dying young. Because this is not what the original intent was. Death was introduced into the world because of Adam and Eve's sin. Genesis 3.19, we saw last week, uh, part of the curse to Adam, he had him work the ground, he said, uh, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That very likely, unless the Lord returns first, uh, there's going to be funeral for, for all of us. And at one point, whether it's me or somebody else, or somebody is going to say over me, uh, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. As Adam was created from the dust of the ground, that we return to that. And a key passage from the New Testament is Romans 5.12, which tells us very specifically that death for all of us was the result of Adam's sin. It wasn't just contained to Adam and Eve, but it was this has affected all of us that are Adam's descendants. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, 
and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. There's a sense where we all sinned in Adam because he was our representative head and his choice affected us all. And there's also the truth that we all sin as well too. We can't just say, well, Adam made that decision, but I've lived a squeaky clean life myself. Uh, No. And if we look at uh, the mirror of God's words, you measure yourself against his commands and you really think about it and what's going on in your heart, realize, wow, we sin every day. In fact, if we really think about it, you don't go very long without sinning at least some point. We fall short of the glory of God. That is what scripture says. But physical death is just part of it. There's also something even more serious, which is spiritual death. And I believe this is something that Adam and Eve, they experienced immediately. So in a sense, they, they experienced physical death that it began at that moment. They, beca- they became mortal, that they would die But the spiritual death happened right away. They were cut off from the life of God. There was immediate separation from the life of God, from fellowship with him, from communion with him, from being uh, spiritually alive and having uh, what comes from being in right relationship and fellowship with him. In the New Testament, in Romans, it also says, for the wages of sin is death. A wage is what we deserve. It's what we have coming to us. You work your uh, full week of work and your employer gives you your check at the end. It's your wages. It's what you deserve. It's what you have coming to you. And for us, what we have coming to us as sinners is not a bunch of good things. What we deserve is, is death. And I believe this is not just talking in Romans here about physical death, but it's talking about spiritual death. Because the verse goes on and talks about the free gift of God that is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's spiritual life, but there is spiritual death. And that happened immediately. I also want to talk about some of the different effects that came upon Adam and Eve. And that come upon all of us. And I think this is helpful because we need to realize what sin, what the fall has done to our lives, not just physically, uh, but it's done to our hearts. And we live in a world now where after the fall, on this side of the fall, every human is thoroughly corrupted by sin. That sin has, it's not just something that is just on the outside of us, that we're basically good people. Some people think that, that we're basically good people, maybe society's to blame, or once in a while uh, we get stained a little bit. Like we're good, but once in a while we get a little bit of mud on us, but we can just wash that off and then we're fine again. So uh, like the, the kids that, a uh, uh, big group of teens and uh, friends are at the, the slapstickle event. Uh, this uh, yesterday with the youth and with uh, Pastor Nick and Ashley and Zach, and if you see some of the pictures online, those kids were muddy. But thankfully, they were able to wash that off. It was, it, the mud was on the outside. Uh, so uh, hopefully not too much got on the inside. I don't know. Uh, but it's not just that sin has gotten on the outside of us, where we can just, uh, you know, shower off or uh, change our clothes and that's it. Uh, what if sin, you know, affects us and it gets into your skin? It gets into your bones. It gets into your, into your heart. But that's what has happened. That sin, this has affected all of us down to the core. 
And this is the condition that we're in. And if that's the condition that you're in, we're going to need something more than that we can do to clean us off. You can't just take some soap and, and do that. In fact, if you're stained in that way, you need something supernatural. You need a miracle in order to help you. Sometimes we use the word total depravity. And I think this is something that is a, a helpful term. I believe it is true. I think the Bible does teach this. And let me give you a definition here. Total depravity, okay, to be depraved, uh, and it's totally. This does not mean that every person is as bad as they possibly could be, okay? Even Hitler could have been worse, theoretically, okay? And you and I, no matter how messed up we are, we could be worse. And it's by the grace of God that we aren't worse than we are, that he keeps us from just uh, descending to just how bad we could be. Uh, the more that you know your heart, the more that I know my heart, I realize I'm pretty bad uh, without Christ. But I, it could be worse. But total depravity means that the corruption and pollution of sin affects all areas of their being, all areas of our being to the core of our being, not just on the outside, but inside and, and down to the core, down to our, 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 our bones, our, our, everything that is within us. Uh, to our, the heart, the core of our being. Now, in your bulletin, I have quite a few verses here. We can't look at all of these, uh, but I hope that you'll take some time I mean, this week to, to look these up and to really think about them. Uh, Romans 1, 18 through 32, uh, 3, 10 through 23, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Uh, we'll be looking at 4, 17 through 19. Uh, but also the verses, uh, Psalm 51, 1, Isaiah 64, 6, John 6, 44, are just some of them. But I want to pull out three basic kind of categories as we think about this. Uh, and what Scripture teaches us as we try to understand ourselves. This is also going to help us understand, again, the world that we live in. It's going to help you to be a better parent. To understand what is your kid like. If you think your kid, your child came into this world, this is pristine uh, just wonderful, just uh, immaculate creature. Uh, and basically, you just need to let your child follow their heart and everything's going to be good. You're going to be parenting in a much different way than if you realize the truth about what's going on. But the first thing we see is that our minds are corrupted by sin. Our minds, uh, not just our, our physical brain, I think our physical brain is part of it. I think Adam was able to, uh, had a physical brain that functioned better than ours. Uh, but our mind is not just the physical brain, but also just our, our thinking, because it's connected to our spirit. Everything is connected like this. And our thinking has been affected by the fall. Our thinking has been affected by sin. This is sometimes called the noetic effects of sin. I'll teach you a uh, big word that is, uh, it's a, I just like it, it's a cool word. Uh, but a great passage to see this is Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, I don't have this on the screen, but if you have your bulletin insert, you can flip that over to the other side. And if you have a pen or pencil with you, prepare to underline some things. Paul writes, and he's writing to, to believers, and he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He's saying, don't walk, don't live the way that you used to do before you were a Christian. And then he says, in the futility of their minds. 
if you have a pen or pencil, underline futility of their minds. That sin has affected our minds so that our minds are affected. Much of our thinking is, is futile. It, it doesn't go to where it ought to go to. Verse 18, then it says, they are darkened in their understanding. Underline that, darkened in their understanding. What we know, what we understand to be true is not illuminated correctly. It is darkened so that we can't see the truth that is, that is there. Our understanding is darkened. It also says that we're alienated from the life of God. We're cut off from him. And it says because of the ignorance that is in them. Underline ignorance. Ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. So even in this one passage, we see so many of these effects of sin. And you see it affects our heart, it affects our core of being, but also it acknowledges here uh, quite a few of our thinking. And therefore, to have this view that uh, mankind had with the Enlightenment, that human reason is the ultimate answer, that we can trust our minds, we can trust our thinking, we can trust uh, you know, our, our, our methods of, of science and philosophy and all these things that we will achieve the right answer. This faith in human reason is a misplaced faith. God has given us amazing mental abilities and the things that people can still do today are amazing. We have technology, we have medicine, we should be grateful for all of these things. These are part of God's common grace. But our thinking is also distorted, it is bent, it has been affected by the fall. And especially in spiritual matters. Different things that uh, have been just corrupted by this. Now in the back of your bulletin too, I gave you a list here of 14 of these different noetic or thinking effects of the fall, of sin. And these were lists I originally saw presented by Albert Mahler. And I thought it was very helpful. Uh, thinking through some of these different things and what it means. And uh, I, th I think we'll be able to resonate with some of these. Uh, one is ignorance. There are things that we just don't know, things that uh, we, sometimes we should know, but we don't. Sometimes our, our ignorance is willful. We don't want to know certain things. And so we decide not to learn those unpleasant things. So there's ignorance, there's distractedness, Ah, this is such a big one in today's culture. How distracted we are. Just low attention spans. Inability to focus. Uh, think of what all the glowing rectangles do to our lives. And they just mess with our heads and uh, you know, make it difficult to focus. I don't know how it is with you. I have to work. Uh, we try to work hard you know, to keep your attention in church, to help you to see uh, what Scripture says, keep our nose in the Scripture and paying attention. Uh, but remember that with our fallen minds, there is this level of distractedness that is a possi possible thing. Uh, so just as a side application for this, uh, when there's things that you really need to pay attention to, uh, help yourself out. Uh, try to remove any things that are... Um, unnecessary distractions, you know, from you. I think a lot of times, yeah, the, the cell phones, uh, you know, can be just, they can be a great tool, but they can be really tough. I think a lot of times in church, uh, I would much rather have you with a paper Bible 
I'm not going to send the deacons to tackle you if you're on a, a, a different one. Don't worry about that. But I think there's just, you know, there's, I've had it too. There's just always, I'm just, gonna, I got to check this other thing. I got to check this. And it's so simple to do it, uh, but just distractedness. That's why I just, I, I would ask parents too to not have kids, at least with, um, you know, devices during church, because we want to focus. And put yourself in a position in the sanctuary where you can, where you can focus and, um, but it's not just in church, it's through all of life that things just grab our attention and a shiny thing, squirrel, what's going on? It's so easy for it to happen. How many times for all of us, you know, we have these songs that we're singing and they're beautiful, deep lyrics and do you find yourself, your mind is drifted to something else? Our prayer life, how difficult that is sometimes. So we need to find ways to, to overcome the distractedness. The other things I have to go through these quickly, forgetfulness. Man, we, we have to be reminded of things, the important things of life, because we forget. We have to put these things in our minds. Prejudice. That means we've decided certain things ahead of time, sometimes about people, sometimes about uh, just other things in life. Prejudice, pre-justice. You've made a decision before actually investigating, before actually knowing. Faulty perspective. Intellectual fatigue. This is six one that he gives. Again, these are in the back of your bulletin. We, our brains get tired. And sometimes in decision making, have you seen this? Where somebody makes a foolish decision because they've just ran out of mental steam and they just, uh, okay, just any decision because your brain's tired. It can happen with groups. It can happen with individuals. I don't think that would have happened to, to Adam and Eve before the fall. Uh, but now this is part of our, our mental wiring is something that we deal with. Inconsistency. We, we, not every thought we have matches with everything else. Uh, we see that in the world too. Failure to draw the right conclusions. Intellectual apathy. Dogmatism and closed-mindedness. Intellectual pride. Vain imagination. Miscommunication and partial knowledge. Things to be thinking through. So can't do the whole message on this, but things we need to realize that our thinking has been affected by the fall. Therefore, God has given you your mind, and it is a tool, and we're supposed to use it to worship him, but ultimately, what are you going to trust more? Are you going to trust this, or are you going to trust this? Are you going to trust your mind or the mind of God that is given to us in Scripture? In Romans chapter 1, I want to read this to you too because we see as we see our minds are affected, we're going to see one way that this happens. Just let me read it to you. Romans 1, starting with 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That one of the things that we do because we're unrighteous is we suppress what's true. We don't want it to be true. So our wills, our affections have decided we don't want something to be true. And so we purposely ignore it. We push these things out of our mind. And this is what so many people do with God. They feel guilty. And so like Adam and Eve, they run away. And they make excuses. They try to suppress. This is why so many atheists spend so much time trying to argue that there is no God. Because deep down they know God is there. You know God is there. But if you don't want there to be a God, you're going to have to have a lot of effort to suppress that knowledge. 
says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Again, these effects on our mind. Futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Notice it also said their foolish hearts were darkened. Um, down to the core of our being. And one of the things that entails that not only our minds are corrupted, but our affections are corrupted. Um, our affections, another way you could say this, our loves are affected. If you want to write that down too, or instead, the things that we love, the things that we care about, the things that we treasure have been affected by sin. Our hearts, because of sin, are pointed in the wrong direction. We come into this world with the default position of our hearts pointed away from God and pointed to other things in this world. Our hearts are pointed in the wrong direction. Our loves, our desires. We desire the wrong things. We treasure the wrong things. A huge application for this, which goes contrary to what you hear all the time and contrary to, I don't know, every Disney movie you've seen, uh, don't trust your heart. Until you trust your heart, it will never lead you astray. You know what scripture actually says? Jeremiah 17, 9 the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In Jeremiah 17, 9, don't trust your heart. Your, your, your compass of your loves uh, is pointed in the wrong direction. Now, once we become Christians, God starts changing our affections so that we start to love the right things. And that's one of the evidences, if you have been born again, that your, your desires change, the things that you love change. That before, you may have thought, oh, the Bible, that's the most boring book in the world. And then all of a sudden you get saved and you're like, this is, wait a second, this, this is valuable, this is sweet, this is rich. I want, I want to spend time in this book. What's, this, is, this is God's word to me. Before being saved, you might come to church and be like, oh, this is boring, I sing songs, listen to the pastor. But you get saved and God starts working again on our affections, our, our, our desires, our loves. Some are like, I, I got to meet with God's people. I, I want to worship God together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to encourage other people. I want to do this. And it changes our affections too, where before we love sin, now we realize, wait a second, this is, this is terrible. This doesn't please God. I, I want to love and please God instead. Now we still have a lot of our heart that needs to be continually rewired. There's still a lot where that is pointed in the, in the wrong direction. The compass of your heart doesn't become instantly per perfect the, the instant that you were born again. It, it starts to change, uh, but again, you still can't totally trust it. Uh, that's why, again, we need God's word to be our ultimate compass. It's going to tell us what really is true. And all these things, our hearts, our, our choices, our mind, there, there's connection with all of these things. And that's why sometimes we, we love the wrong thing and sometimes it starts with the thinking and that's why we love the wrong thing, but also we love the wrong thing and then that will affect how we think about this. Uh, 
Philip Melanchthon, uh, Martin Luther during the time of the Reformation, uh, was, Melanchthon was a partner uh, with them and a theologian. He once gave this insight. He said, what the heart loves, the will chooses and the mind justifies. What the heart loves, the will chooses and the mind justifies. That we find ways to justify our sin. People find ways to, well, I want to do that thing, and so I'll find a way around it. I'll find a way to, let's take sometimes even scripture and mangle it so I can, I can justify and say, well, no, this is, a, this is a good thing. Did God really say I'm not supposed to do that? But I want to do that, so we find ways to do it. And so often people say, well, God's not clear about some of these things, and it's really not a matter of God not being clear. It's that we want to believe certain things, and so we're going to do anything we can to, to mangle the truth, to, to justify, so we can do what we want to do. And so even as Christians, we need to realize that's part of what goes on in our hearts still. And this is also part of what is, is going on every day with uh, people that don't know Christ yet. We're gonna, people start with what they want, and they're going to find a way to say, well, that's good, and to justify this. Uh, whether it's sin, whether it's selfish, they justify what they want. So again, use what we're learning here to, to understand yourself, what's going on in your heart. This is going to help you also, parents, to understand your kids and what they do and the heart work that you need to be doing in their lives to help shepherd their hearts so they understand what's going on in their lives. Uh, that, well, first of all, that they need a Savior from their sin but that also even after they trust Christ, there is this, this internal battle that we have that is going on. And to help them to, to choose the right thing, and it's not always just what they feel or what they want. And it's to help us understand our world, our neighbors. Real reasons why people don't go to church. Uh, is it really because they just don't like the color of the carpeting? Or is it because they don't want to be encountered with the, the God that, that we worship here? And so we need to pray for them. Because these are things that are going on. It's not just if we have the right music or the nifty program or something like that. Uh, God, pray for God to be doing work in the hearts of your neighbors and people that need Jesus Christ. So our minds are affected, our affections or our loves are affected and corrupted by sin. And finally, our wills are corrupted. The, the part of us that, that makes choices, the part of us that makes decisions, has also been contaminated, polluted, corrupted by sin. It's a, it's a part that has failed, a part that, that no, longer, no longer works. Thinking about this, I'm trying to fix our lawnmower at home. You know, there's these parts that are, have gone bad. We have all these different parts in us that have, have failed and have corrupted. And yeah, our, our wills are part of it, our, our decision-making apparatus that we have. And again, these are all connected. Our, our thinking, our affections, and our wills, uh, <laughs> These, they're all connected with each other. Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 1, says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. Notice he doesn't just say sick. Dead. Dead is a whole different level than just sick. If you're sick, you might get better. If you're sick, maybe there's some things that you can do to help yourself get better. You can reach for that medicine. You can call a doctor. If you're dead, you need a miracle. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, that we chose what is wrong, we chose the, the wrong things to do. Romans 3.12 says, no one does good, not even one. I say, well, some people do some good things. Well, we do, on one level, you can do good things. It's good to help your neighbor. It's good to give to charity. It's good to, um, there's a lot of, you know, good things. Uh, but is it ultimately good? Scripture tells us that even our, our good deeds are like filthy rags. They're contaminated by bad motives, uh, by, you know, different levels of selfishness. You know, sometimes by God's grace, you know, people can do things that are good if you just look at it between them and their neighbor, but do they care about the Lord? Are they doing it for him? Are they doing it for the glory of God? Are we doing it for Jesus Christ? And if someone doesn't know or, or the Lord or trust him, they're never doing it for the glory of God. We're called to do all things for his glory. And therefore, without being uh, a Christian, to one level or not, everything that we do is going to be uh, you know, tainted by sin or have, have wrong motives and not the, the correct reason for it. And so our wills are affected, our wills are corrupted. I want to give you this because I think this is really helpful. This, uh, talking about four states of humanity, this originally um, uh, gets credit to Augustine and it's on the back of your bulletin. Again, you think of uh, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. We can also think of just human beings uh, can go through four different kind of stages of, of life or existence. Okay, we personally aren't in all of these, uh, but this, is, I think, is really helpful. So, you have these, the four states of mankind or humanity. So, creation, okay, so before the fall came into this world, there's after the fall, Okay, on this side of the fall, and without being reborn, just still in our sin. Redemption, okay? Now this is when, when somebody trusts Christ as Savior, you're born again. And then finally, Scripture calls glorification. So this is a, a, at the end of all things, or the consummation, or how we will be a believer for, for all eternity. And as I say here, uh, just very clearly, um, in these different states, in creation, we're in a state of being passe pecare, passe non pecare which, of course, after the fall, becomes non-passe, non-pecare, but with redemption becomes, again, passe, pecare, passe, non-pecare, but then in glorification, non-passe, pecare. Okay, we clear? We got that? <laughs> so, sometimes just, uh, you might hear the Latin for this, it's just, I, it's kind of fun, but I'll give you the English, because I think it's more helpful, but uh, I, th I think this is really interesting to see. You know, sometimes we talk about Adam and Eve before the fall, and they say, well, they were perfect, how could they have sinned? They were perfect. Does Scripture actually ever say they were perfect? Not like God. It says they were good, very good, but they still had the ability to sin. And so the original state of humanity, uh, what this means, pasipikari, pasipikari, pikari is a word for sin. So it means they were able to sin and able not to sin. So that's why Adam and Eve, they had a choice. They, they could have chosen not to eat the forbidden fruit. Okay, that was a real option for them and their, their wills, they could have made that decision. 
uh, but they also had the ability that they could have sinned, and obviously they did because they, they chose to sin. They chose to disobey God, to listen to uh, Satan, who through the serpent inflamed those parts of their hearts, and they chose to sin. So that's the original state of humanity. Sometimes people assume that we're all in this state, but we're not. Scripturally, because of the effects of sin on our minds, emotion, and our will, we are now in this new state after the fall of non passe non peccare, which means not able not to sin. And that's how bad it is. Think of what that means. I know it's a double negative, but if it means you're not able not to sin, it means that you're going to sin. And that's why the scripture tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not just in, in Adam, but in, in life, we sin all the time. And so as an unbeliever, the way that we come into this world, because you are not, you didn't become a sinner when you sinned. You were a sinner when you came into this world and you do sins because you came into this world as a sinner. That was your default. That was your, your factory setting, at least since the fall. Okay, that wasn't how the original factory was, but the factory was damaged because of the fall. And now we come into this world uh, as sinners. So not able not to sin. Does this mean we don't have choices? Well, we still make choices. We still do things, but ultimately, basically you're choosing, are you going to sin this way, or are you going to sin this way, or are you going to sin this way? Are you going to do the, the nasty sin, or are you going to do the socially acceptable sin? Are you going to do the sneaky sin, the obvious sin? But basically we're all just sinning one way or another. It's just, what's your uh, Baskin-Robbins flavor, the, how you're going to pick how you are going to sin? But it's going to be sin. Because think about it. If you had a well, okay, that you draw your water from, and that well gets completely polluted, you are always and only going to draw polluted water from that well. And so because of sin, our hearts have been corrupted and polluted, and therefore, that's all that's going to come from it. Something that is in rebellion to God one way or another. That's how sad, that's the, how desperate this situation is. So if you want to talk about free will, really it's you have the freedom to, you're going to pick this sin or you're going to pick that sin or you're going to pick a different sin. So Martin Luther, I think it's more right to call it the bondage of the will. Uh, yes, we make choices, but we do what we want to do, but our hearts are polluted, so... Uh, without Christ, we just want to sin. That's what we do because we're dead in sin. And your kids, we come into the world this way. You didn't have to teach them how to sin. You didn't have to teach them how to be selfish. They were really good at that all on their own. So if there's any hope for humanity, it's going to have to be completely by the grace of God. Years ago, Henry Ironside, who's a pastor at Moody Church in Chicago, great Bible teacher, he told a story about an older Christian who was asked to give his testimony. And he told about how God had sought him out and found him, how God had loved him, called him, saved him, delivered him, cleansed him, healed him. Uh, to, it was a great witness to God's power and God's grace. But after the meeting, there was a rather legalistic uh, Christian that was there. And he took him aside and he criticized his testimony and he said, you know, I appreciate everything you said about what God did for you, uh, but you really didn't mention anything about your part in it. He said, salvation is really part us and part God. 
And you should have mentioned something about your parts. Oh, yes. The older Christian said, I apologize for that. I'm sorry. I really should have said something about my part. My part was running away. And his part was running after me until he caught me. On one level, yes. You do need to repent. You need to choose to uh, trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. But when we look at it, we look in the rearview mirror of what happened, we understand that our hearts were so dead in sin that if it wasn't for him coming after you and him being at work in your heart, him jump-starting your dead heart, that you wouldn't have placed your faith in Christ. And so I pray for you. It is your responsibility to trust him as Savior, but I pray that God would be working in your heart through his word and by the Holy Spirit and that he would grab a hold of your heart and they would turn it to Jesus Christ. And therefore, you can be born again. You can be saved. It's not because of our good works. It's what he has done. And then once you are saved, redemption for a believer. Now, we enter in this new phase where it's able to sin and able not to sin again. We're going to sin. Okay, you're not going to make it through the rest of this life without sinning. But with any individual sin, you do have that option. That there is significant and real victory that we have. And that the Holy Spirit has come into your life. You have a born-again heart. And you're able to, to choose the right things. You are able to say no to sins. Don't just say, well, you know, I'm a sinner. This is all I can do. No, the, the new real part of you is a new creation in Christ. And if you act out of that new part of your heart, your real heart, your eternal heart, the one that God is making you, you choose the right things and you can please him. Again, not perfectly. We're not going to do that. But you can choose to do the right thing. So never say, well, this is just how I am. I got to sin. I can't do it. Now, if you're a believer, lean into the part of your heart that is controlled and is being transformed by Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can choose the right thing. You're still going to struggle. Don't think it's always perfect. It's a hard, hard thing. But there will also come a day, and praise God for this, uh, when you're taken to him. And eventually when the resurrection, we're glorified, when sin will be no more. And this will actually be something new that we haven't experienced yet, non passe pacare, which means a not able to sin. Yeah, not able to sin. And this is the true freedom. True freedom isn't just, well, I could sin if I want to. Uh, true freedom is that your heart will be so cleansed by God that you won't even want to sin. That uh, your, your free choice will be like Jesus' choice. He could sin if he wanted to, but he was never going to choose that because he loved God more. And he was always going to choose freely to serve him. And so look forward to this day. As you struggle with sin in your life right now, a day will come when that will be done. And you won't want to sin, and you won't sin. You won't have the, the ability in your heart to even choose that because your heart will be completely transformed to be like Jesus Christ. You can think of Scripture, creation, fall, redemption, consummation with four trees. In creation, there was the tree of life. In the fall, Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Redemption was accomplished because the Son of God hung on a tree for your salvation. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse 
of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. That's what he was doing. The cross was a, was a cut down tree that he was hanged upon. And then there will be a day again where we're no longer cut off from the tree of life. In the book of Revelation, at the end, let me close by reading this to you and think about just the glory that awaits. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. Let me read that again and think about this. One day, we live in a cursed world still. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and the and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, we realize that we live in this world now after the fall. And it is no longer the perfect world that you had created, ideal, very good. But there is fallenness that has affected this world and it has affected our beings and even to our hearts. Lord, we thank you so much for the grace of God in Jesus Christ and your work reaching into our dead hearts, turning us to you, Lord God. And Lord, thank you for that work. It is by your sovereign grace in our lives you receive all of the glory for this. And Lord, I pray for anyone that is still in the deadness of their sin and against you, that they would hear, that you would reach into their heart through their ears, through the word, grab a hold of their heart, turn them to you. And that they would respond and put their trust in Jesus Christ seeing you as lovely, seeing you as treasure, seeing you as their only hope in life and death. That Jesus, that the one that took the curse for them on the cross so they can have salvation. Lord, let us struggle against our sin because as Christians, this is no longer the real us. We are new creations in Christ and we long for the day when that will be complete and that our hearts will be completely free never to love sin again, but to love you only for eternity. May Jesus Christ be praised forever. In his name we pray. Amen.